Alex Puchner joins us on this episode to help us understand more the world of corporate brewing. He explains his beginnings of home brewing in the 80s in California to his ties to our state. BJ's Brewhouse have many locations, but Alex helps us talk about how he manages the multiple brewhouses, the contract brewing, the use of reverse osmosis to help with the water chemistry, and we get a sneak peek into the details of the new location going up in Grand Rapids this fall. Join us live Friday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, and Kick, all at Better on Draft. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft. Welcome, everybody. Episode 325 of the Better on Draft podcast. My name is Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. I truly appreciate it. It is a stormy few days we've been having here in Michigan with those flash floods, so hopefully everybody is getting their power back. They didn't lose too much in their refrigerators. Uh, but with that in mind, let's go around and see what everybody is drinking, starting with Dan. Dan, what do you got over there? Oh, so I've got my go-to uh, Speedway Stout, as always. Drink four or five of those today. I've got a Jeremiah Red from BJ's. Awesome. And Wendy, Wendy, what do you got over there? I have a Tropical Hop Storm from BJ's and a Rochester Mills uh, Milkshake Stout. I feel like we're going to be drinking an infinite amount of uh, <laughs> Rochester Mills for the next uh, year, year and a half. Just as a uh, Just a little bit, that's for sure. Uh, we do have a special guest host with us today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us where you're from and what you're drinking. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm from Canton, Michigan. And today I'm drinking a euphoric from uh, Pure Project out in California. So, and yeah. for myself, uh, I've got – that's all right. Sorry. I, I kind of like bull rush right over you. Don't worry. We'll talk to you later. Uh, I got a Jeremiah Red from BJ's Brewhouse as well as an Oktoberfest from BJ's Brewhouse. And I'd like to introduce our guest who's going to help talk to us about some of these beers, uh, including those BJ's beers. Why don't you, uh, our guest, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you work, who you work for, a little bit about yourself, uh, the whole shebang. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm Alex Puchner. I am the uh, corporate brewmaster for the BJ's restaurant and, and brew house uh, chain of, of restaurants and breweries. I have been brewing with BJ's for 27 years now. I'm responsible for getting them into the beer business. They existed as a small pizza chain uh, before hiring me. And uh, prior to that, I was uh, involved with some of the first brew pubs. Um, in Southern California, where I'm based. Um, so let's see, I've been in the early 90s. So I've been brewing professionally for 30 years and was a, uh, a pretty crazy home brewer prior to that. So um, many years of brewing. Well, let's let's hit on that before we get into the world of BJ's. As a home brewer in the late 80s, early 90s, how did you go about... Um, finding recipes, finding equipment, um, gathering all this information when one craft beer wasn't really necessarily that big. Um, and two, obviously there's no internet or anything like that. Like how did you go about, uh, becoming a crazy home brewer? That was a very different time. Very different time. You know, we really didn't have much in the way of craft beer. Sierra Nevada pale ale, 
there weren't IPAs per se. There were hoppy pale ales, but, you know, IPAs hadn't hit the scene yet. Um, you know, you really couldn't find traditional European styles, um, you know, with much flavor you know, other than Pilsner unless you brew them yourself. So that was the motivation, you know, and, and homebrewing was immensely popular back then. I, I joined the Maltose Falcons um, who um, were very active back then. They still are, but um, you know, they, they were a homebrewing club in California before homebrewing was legal in California. Uh, they've been around that long. And yeah, they, they taught me um, just an immense amount about brewing beer, just going to their meet, monthly meetings um, but I do have to credit Charlie Papazian and his complete joy of home brewing with, um, you know, really inspiring me to, to stick with it. I, I think I probably brewed every recipe in that book from, uh, cover to cover. So that's, that's how I got my start. And, um, I had homebrewed for about five years, uh, before, uh, going professional. I had friends who were big fans of my beer. You know, my first few batches were not good. And I made many mistakes. Um, <laughs> I do remember that my first batch and I, I, I brought a sample into a good friend of mine. Um, we worked together. I brought it into his office and we opened it and, you know, he gave it a good sip and his response was, well, it's drinkable. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we all got to start somewhere. And, um, you know, I, I was self-taught back in those days. There really, you know, there weren't most of the craft brewers back then were self-taught. Very few of them had gone to, you know, brewing school at UC Davis or, or Siebel in Chicago. And it was, it was a great time. You know, I, um, my friends encouraged me to start brewing professionally um, as brew pubs started to, to pop up um, in California. And um, I made that plunge, uh, yeah, in the early 90s and never looked back. Smartest thing I ever did. Well, before I get into talking about the the Jeremiah Red, uh, on our Facebook page, a gentleman by the name of Todd Parker wants to say hi. Uh, (laughs) Apparently, he's known as Caustic Todd to you. Uh, So you may know him, but he wanted to say hi. We know Todd very well, brewing over at the Rochester Mills Brew Pub uh, over in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Uh, Todd has been a fan, has been on our show uh, before, so uh, he wanted to say hi. Um, Hi, Todd. Yeah, Todd and I go way, way back. Yeah. Yeah, our first brewery was in Brea uh, in Orange County, and uh, Todd was a regular there. And, uh, yeah, worked with us for a brief time. I think it was his first uh, brewery job. How do you like that, Jeremiah Red? It's it's not your average, um, you know, red ale. It's uh, it's very different. I love the... I guess I guess you could say I'm getting a little bit more like bread and biscuit in the front, which I kind of love that flavor um, when I'm not getting any type of citrus or pine or anything like that. I'm getting just pure malt. Um, but the Jeremiah Red, you were mentioning before we went live that this was probably your number one selling beer. Is that correct? Or it is um, depending on the market. But um, yeah, in, in some markets, uh, warmer climates. Um, Brewhouse Blonde, our coal style beers, is the top seller. But uh, I, I can assure you that in Michigan, Jeremiah Red is, is the number one seller for BJ's. Why do you think that a Kolsch or Red is your number one seller when we kind of live in a world where 
Um, those styles aren't necessarily the sexiest. They're not the IPAs. They're not pales. Um, they're not even like dark beers, like a stout. Like, why do you think um, a Kolsch or a red really outshine um, and sales the rest of your beer? Yeah, the Jeremiah Red has always surprised me, and it was a, really a hit from from day one. Um, it it is the beer that really differentiates us. As it's it's unique. It's not an American style red because it's not balanced. It, you're right. It's not a, not a hoppy beer. It's all about the malt. Um, it's got you know a, a dark fruit, you know raisiny, uh, black cherry kind of uh, maltiness to it. Um, it is high alcohol, seven point three percent. Um, and you know, not balanced, you know, if, if, if you're not a, a hoppy beer drinker, you know, Jeremiah Red is for you. And, um, you know, it's always stood out. Um, that's one beer where we haven't touched that recipe, um, over the years, um, you know, 27 years now, it was one of our original five beers, um, almost immediately won a, a medal at the great American beer festival. Um, you know, our guests went crazy over it. Um, I was just trying to brew something different from the red ales I'd been brewing at brew pubs before BJ's and I wasn't happy with them. Um, so I thought, yeah, why don't I just try something of an Irish style red, but on steroids, you know, much bigger, higher gravity, more alcoholic. And yeah. That's I, the thing that shocked me when I was reading the the label that it was over 7%. Um, Cause that's, that's something that I could easily slam a, a growler of and <laughs> not even bad an eye. Um, I, I can't wait for Dan and Wendy for you guys to try that, that red ale when you, you get the opportunity to, uh, but I am going to pass it off to Wendy though. Cause I think Wendy's got a few questions for you that she wants to ask. So, um, I actually have tried it and it's one of my favorites. I'm also a big fan of the quad. Ah, the quad. Yeah. That was a seasonal beer. You know, I, I, it's hasn't been on our lineup for a couple of years. Uh, Abbey normal quad, we call it. And, uh, yeah, that, that beer was formulated by our, our R and D director, Aaron Steck. He's based in Boulder where we have our R and D brewery. And, um, yeah, he does an incredible quad. I, I, I love that beer myself. Absolutely fantastic. So before I get too far into the questions, I do have to say that I read on Wikipedia that, um, the brewery started out as, um, a Chicago style pizza place. You did mention pizza place earlier. Is there a big market for Chicago style pizza in California? <laughs> you know, it it's it's more deep dish style. It's not true Chicago style. I I, <laughs> I lived in Chicago for a few years, and um, uh, originally it was marketed as Chicago style. Um, we recognize that it's you know it's got a lot in common with Chicago style pizza. But it's actually a more more unique pizza in, in, um, in its own right. It's 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 deep dish. Um, it's we're we're famous for it, obviously, um, along with our beer and our dessert, our uh, our pizzuki. Uh, yes, um, definitely definitely signature menu items along with our our beer. I have had the opportunity to visit um, BJ's in multiple states at this point. Um, sometimes just by because of location where I'm at, uh, but. Um, I'm curious when you are, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) What do you say to people who think because it's a corporate store um, that it's not really craft beer? 
we we do get that, you know. Um, and yeah, it it bothers me. Um, you know, I I guess what I say is, you know, have you been to beaches? You know, do you do you realize the variety of beer we have? Um, you know, we you know we've got twelve signature beers and a couple signature uh, seasonal beers on it at any one time. Um, you know, we we introduce new beers, we design new beers. Um, you know, every every few months there's a new seasonal beer, um, and this is craft beer. You know, at its at its yeah at at its core, and um, you know that's what BJ's is all about. And we we've been at it now for 27 years. Um, you know, we were we were pioneers back in the early days. Um, we're survivors now and, um, you know, still innovating. And, and uh, we'd like to think that we're, we're still pioneers today. So uh, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that you've also won quite a few um, awards for your beer at different festivals, but most importantly at GABF. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we take Great American Beer Festival very seriously. Um, along with the World Beer Cup. You know, those are the, the two big ones. Um, and we do pride ourselves in the number of gold medals we've, we've accumulated over the years um, and some in, in recent years. Um, it's particularly ones in recent years that um, we're most proud of because it is not easy <laughs> uh, to get get an award at, uh, at GABF these days. It's, it's a tough competition, not just because there's so many entries, um, compared to, you know, 10, 20 years ago, certainly. Um, but American craft beer quality, you know, is, is absolutely world-class these days. So, you know, to stand out amongst so many world-class beers is, is extremely difficult these days. I agree. So I, uh, before I pass it over to Rob, I will say that, like I said, I've been to many of the different locations and I've always really enjoyed the food. And I was looking at the website and saw that there was a beer dinner back in July. And I wondered, like, was that the first time you've done that? Or is it something that you guys are planning to do regularly? We, we do them regularly. Thanks for asking. You know, we, it, it's, that's, that's something unique, the way we do them on a very large scale. Uh, we do them five times a year. Um, the next one is a, uh, a spooky Halloween themed beer dinner in mid October. Um, and, uh, it's a different theme for every dinner. Uh, this one features, uh, uh, stone brewing. Uh, so it's a number of their beers, um, along with our, our seasonal pumpkin ale paired with BJ's menu items. Um, and we're very, um, you know, particular with, with the pairings. A lot of it, you know, is, um, educational, you know, not just about the beers, but, you know, pairing beer and food, um, a history of the brewery, whoever's featured. Um, and it could be multiple breweries. Uh, we do a holiday themed dinner, uh, every December with our prime rib, um, and a number of, um, you know, holiday seasonal beers, winter warmers, that kind of thing. That's one of my favorites. So look for that one too. Um, we do them at almost all of our restaurants. So, um, about 200 restaurants, uh, average attendance is 50, depending on the capacity of the restaurants. Some might be smaller, some might be, you know, a hundred or so. Um, you know, so across 200 restaurants, we're basically doing this beer dinner for, for 10,000, uh, craft beer lovers, um, every time we do it, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Um, 
So yeah, another another thing that's unique to BJ's, I think. Well, you lost me at pumpkin beers for the spooky one, but I'm definitely going to look into the uh, holiday beer. Oh, you got to have our you got to have our pumpkin <laughs> ale. That's that was one of our original seasonal beers, along with our Oktoberfest. So at least 25 years old. Um, and yeah, we were one of the original. We weren't the original, but one of the original brewers of, of pumpkin ale. We have changed the recipe a little bit over the years. Um, we didn't originally use real pumpkin in it. It was just all pumpkin pumpkin pie spice and some you know, caramelly malts. Uh, but yeah, now we actually use pumpkin puree, which adds some body and flavor to it on top of the pumpkin pie spice. I think you'll like it. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Rob, I know you have some questions. Sure. Uh, I was just curious, do you find it difficult to have your own beers competing with your guest guest tap list or just because they're, they may have a wider audience that would be looking for them or anything like that? Yeah. Our, our, you know, our guest beer selection is um, it's a number of, um, you know, national craft brands, um, Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Stone, et cetera. Um, But um, usually six to eight of the guest beers on tap um, are are local, local offerings. And um, we sell of our guest beers. That's what we sell the most of. Now that's, you know, that's what, you know, our beer drinking guests, many of them are looking for is something local. Um, So, you know, we're happy to offer you know, a selection of local beers on, on top of our own. And we, we end up just selling, selling more beer. Sure. And uh, I was curious, I'm not super familiar. Uh, how many different places do you guys brew the beers or is it like each location or? Yeah, our model is, um, is, is unique and it's something we uh, fell into. Um, so we are not a brew pub chain, really never have been. Uh, we centralize our brewing operations. When I was hired, um, first as a consultant in 1995, um, EJ's had eight little pizza joints um, and a terrible beer list. But uh, you know, the two guys that were running the company at the time, they they hired me to get them into the craft beer business and you know pair uh, handcrafted beer with uh, with deep dish pizza. Great idea. Um, and because we had these existing restaurants, our first brewery was oversized, you know, to supply those other restaurants. And then we had some growth plans. So it was a pretty large, you know, brewing system, uh, capacity of 5,000 barrels, you know, for a brew pub. But we were shipping beer to the other restaurants. And we, we fell into this hub and spoke model, uh, which really made sense. So for the next uh, 10 years, we opened a brewery for every 10 or 12 or so restaurants um, and operated that way. You know, a, a brew pub chain is that model is flawed. Once you get, you know, beyond twenty or so brew pubs, it, it really isn't sustainable from a, you know, a quality uh, control yeah. perspective. It, it's an absolute nightmare, right? Your beer is only as good as your your brewer, um, and also it doesn't make sense to take a valuable dining space, you know, with with a brewery in every restaurant, you know, and, and brewing equipment um, is, is expensive. So our model really made sense, and uh, we've that's. Um, that's how we've done things, you know, ever since, but now, um, we've outgrown a lot of those older breweries. At one point we were operating 11 breweries at one time. Um, and we decommissioned a number of the smaller breweries. We still have, um, several of them that we use for R and D purposes. And, um, we have two large production breweries 
one as a standalone brewery in, in central Texas in Temple. Um, and because of, you know, our shipping beer, both east and west, um, it's very central. Um, it makes sense. Um, and then we also have a brewery. Um, our first larger brewery is in, uh, in Reno. So that's where, you know, the beer you're enjoying there in Michigan uh, is coming from. For the most part, uh, Temple and to some extent, uh, Reno supplements the supply there. Um, I should also add that another thing that complicates our model is because uh, we have liquor licenses, retail licenses. Um, there are there are states that uh, have tied house laws prohibiting us from shipping beer that we brew in our breweries into that state. Um, so about a third of our production is is brewed by two um, partners of ours, you know, contract brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that are brewing our brands for us for, for legal reasons. Nice. Yeah. I was curious about that. Cause if you brew in several places, quality definitely becomes an issue that, yeah, it's hard to keep control of. Um, also, after you've said you've been there for 27 years, uh, in many years, you've definitely brewed a few batches of beer. Uh, do you have any particular favorites that were maybe one-offs or something that doesn't get brewed anymore that, you'd bring back? Well, you know, I wish I, I'm a huge Belgian ale fan and, um, you know, one, another thing that differentiated, differentiated BJ's more so in the early days was we had a Belgian ale list, you know, a list of, um, <laughs> my favorite, basically my favorite Belgian ales. Um, and, um, yeah, and then of course we, we've started brewing our own Belgian ales over the years and, um, one of my all-time favorites of our beers is our Grand Cru, which is our holiday seasonal. It's a, it's a strong golden Belgian, um, spiced with a little orange peel and, and, and coriander. And um, yeah, you may have had it. It's, it's, uh, we released it in early November. Um, it's available through, through the holiday season. Um, nice. And that's one we've been, we first brewed it for the, to celebrate the new millennium. Uh, so this will be the 24th year we brewed it. We thought it was just going to be a one-off, and um, you know, it was such a huge hit. We we brought it back every year. First is kind of to celebrate the new year, and we we tap it New Year's Eve, and then we realized, well, you know, it's it's a celebratory beer. We're missing out on sales. Let's tap it earlier. Um, so now now we tap it um, in November to enjoy, you know, for Thanksgiving and 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 through uh through the December holidays um, and into the new year. I I love this stuff. So I can't wait. Uh, we've just been brewing um, the production batches um, for this year um, and just bottled. We, we bottle, uh, bottle it in uh, a cork and cage 750 to sell out of our restaurants where we can sell uh, beer to go. Um, and uh, that's also a big hit, too. So we actually just bottled it because of bottle conditions. We have to get way ahead of it. Just bottled it uh, two days ago. So I'm excited to start sampling the bottles uh, in a few weeks. Very nice. Look forward to that. Uh, I'll pass it back to Wendy while we're waiting for Dan. I uh, actually have had that one. And I, yeah, I brought it home with me last year. I won't lie. Um, let's see. Uh, your California breweries currently have a brew house beer club for only $30 bi-monthly. Um, with the fifth BJ's in our state, is there any possibility it'll come to what, to Michigan? There is a... There is a good possibility. Yeah, we um, yeah, we've stuck to California for the first two years. Uh, big state for us. We have um, 
many restaurants there. But, uh, you know, Michigan is definitely a state we have when we do expand the club, the state that, um, you know, we're, we're planning on. Um, it's it's kept our brewers very busy um, and it very motivated to, you know, create new beers because every, every two months um, there are two releases. Um, and one is a more sessionable uh, style of beer um, in cans. And then the other is a bottle conditioned 750 that, um, you know, is typically, you know, something strong, maybe something a little crazy. Um, something, yeah. Yeah. More like a new beer experience. Um, and you might want to cellar it, uh, but definitely something you want to sip and savor. So we've had a lot of fun with that. And, um, you know, we have a lot of beers that we've brewed over the years that just, you know, we knew, um, wouldn't sell well enough to put on tap at BJ's. Um, so we have all these, you know, these recipes, um, and, uh, they, they've been perfect for the beer club. And of course we're creating new recipes all the time. So that's been a lot of fun. I'm a huge fan of stuff like it. I have more memberships than I care to admit. Um, speaking of breweries in Michigan, I hear that uh, Grand Rapids is going to open in October. Yes. So we have four BJs in Michigan now. Um, and Grand Rapids will be our fifth. It's coming soon. I would love to get out there. I've never been to Grand Rapids and that's that's a good craft beer town from what I hear. Again, got a few good breweries there, right? That yeah. leads to my next question. Is there any hesitation about opening a brewery in Beer City, USA? <laughs> I say Beer City, USA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe that's why it took us uh, a few years to open in Grand Rapids. No, no, no hesitation <laughs> at all. Um, we know there's a lot of uh, craft beer drinkers there. And, of course, we'll have a great selection of you know, uh, Founders beers, um, you know, Perrin, New Holland, uh, shorts, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm even a fan of, isn't Virtue Cider nearby? Yeah, it's, it's good cider. So we'll even have that on tap. Yeah, yeah. Virtue Cider, um, Greg Hall's uh, spot over there. Um, we had him on the show a few years ago. But yeah, you can, uh, there's a lot of hard cideries here in the state of Michigan, um, as well as if you're unfamiliar, of course, on the east side is Ferndale, Michigan, which is Mead City, USA. Um, so if you're a big mead drinker, um, Shrams, Bee Nectar, uh, plenty of great meaderies out here as well. Uh, yeah, I've had, I've had Bee Nectar. Bee Nectar is very good. Yeah. Yeah. I, you mentioned Greg Hall. We go way back. Um we, I took a short course in quality control at the Siebel Institute in Chicago years ago. This was before BJ's, and I was, yeah, I was a brew pub brewer. Um, and Greg Hall was my lab partner in that, in that class. <laughs> it was a, a two-week course. And, uh, yeah, I've known him. Boy, this would have been close to 30 years ago. I've known him that long. That's amazing. Um, so I am actually drinking the Tropical Hop Storm. And I wanted to ask you about it. Tell us a little bit about the beer. Yeah, we're excited about this beer. So this is um, this was just released as a seasonal beer last week. Um, we have uh, our regular IPA is called Hopstorm, and it's somewhat old school. It's not an in-your-face, you know, West Coast style or, or you know, juicy or dank IPA. Um, you know, it's fairly tame and friendly by by today's IPA standards. So. 
Um, we wanted to introduce an IPA that uh, is, has more of a, a tropical, you know, contemporary, juicy, hot profile to it. Um, it took us about a year to design this beer, I think five test batches, um, a number of different um, hop varieties um, that contribute, you know, tropical fruit, aromas and flavors, you know, think papaya, passion fruit, definitely some, some pineapple in there. Um, you know, we even use a little Sabro hop to, to contribute a, a hint of coconut. I don't know if you're, you're picking that up, but um and there's also an experimental experimental hop in there, YQH thirteen twenty that we're we're crazy about, um, that has all kinds of diff- different tropical flavors in it. So um, our brewing team is really proud of this beer. Um, you know, I have to give our our brewing, our R and D director Aaron Steck a lot of credit for brewing uh, so many test batches. Um, you know, until we perfected you know this beer, it was ended up being exactly what you know we were looking for. Um, I just it's only been on tap at BJ's for a week now. Um, we've been getting very positive feedback, which is encouraging. We're selling more of it than we projected. So um, I'm stoked. Um, yeah, we're really proud of it. So um, I'm glad you're enjoying it too. Definitely. And in fact, yeah, I have our tropical hop storm shirt on here rather loud. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I just got this and uh, um if you'd like, well, we'll do this. We will ship each of you <laughs> a tropical hop storm shirt from BJ's. And, uh, nice. Yeah. Not to not to slam on other breweries, but those are easily uh, uh, a very much more loud shirt than just the logo that we normally get <laughs> with a, a craft beer uh, shirt. So I, I definitely will take it because I will wear it. Uh, Absolutely. For sure. It's yeah, my wife, my, wife just, my wife just saw it and took one look at it. It's like, you, you look at it. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, I get that kind of reaction. <laughs> oh, have a little fun. Uh, Rob, did you want to jump in there? Um, sure. Uh, I, I did kind of come up with a question while I was sitting here listening uh, from my own experience of working with Jolly Pumpkin. Um, you guys do one-offs, and you said that you kind of brew in a few central locations. Uh, do you ever have issues with trying to get like one-off beers or something different to be released all at the same time in all of your locations or? Yes, we, you know, we, we do run into those issues. Um, it can be problematic. Um, you know, we, we tried it you now with our new seasonal beers, there is a, a tapping date, you know, and uh for one reason or another, and it, it can be logistics. Our logistics are ridiculously complicated with the number of markets, you know, we, we ship to, um, or we run into, you know, a production delay for one reason or another, you know, a, a stuck fermentation, um, you know, who knows? Um, we've, we've had every issue imaginable um, that might hold up, you know, shipping a batch. And um, yeah, that happens. It's, you know, it's part of the job. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, luckily, because we're brewing the beer in, you know, multiple locations, um, you know, if we can't get it, if one brewery can't supply where we had planned to supply, we can usually, you know, <laughs> reconfigure the shipping plan, you know, to, to ship some beer from another brewery, um, at least, you know, to get beer where it needs to be for the launch date. 
um, and then fill in that gap when the batch of the uh, the other brewery is ready, right? Uh, sounds good. And then also another thing I was wondering is uh, how is it that you balance beer trends over the course of time? Uh, now that especially now that you have a national exposure as opposed to being just a local restaurant chain. Yeah, you know, um, we we do have our two flagships, the, the blonde and the red, as I mentioned. But, um, you know, um, the rest of our signature beers, many of them have been around for decades. And they're somewhat old school, you know, like our Piranha Pale Ale and our Hopstorm IPA. Uh, we, we did um, revise the recipe for our Piranha Pale Ale, which was, you know, Modeled after Sierra Nevada, it was it was all Cascade originally, because uh, that was my favorite beer at the time. Um, but now we've you know we've we've added you know some some other hop varieties to it, um, some Citra and, and and Simcoe, and it's it's you know um, a more complex you know more more fruity, uh, more hop forward uh, beer than it used to be. So we do change our recipes, but also we constantly introduce new beers. Uh, particularly with our, our seasonal lineup. And if something's very popular, it'll be around in our seasonal lineup for, you know, a few years at least. Um, but then, you know, it falls out of favor. You know, um, for example, we have a wit beer that was a super popular summer seasonal uh, for about 10 years. Uh, we call it Nitwit. And then uh, we just stopped selling as much, you know, um, and we realized, you know what, it's run its course. Um, let's do something else, you know, as a summer seasonal. And this year we did a, a Mexican style lager. We call it Cura Vesa. And uh, that will be our summer seasonal for a number of years, I'm sure. Um, you know, until Mexican lagers fall out of favor, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got to keep up with the trends. And, you know, of course, we're even looking at Beyond Beer. Um, and, you know, initially I, I really didn't want anything to do with, you know, brewing hard seltzers or, or anything that wasn't, uh, you know, malt-based. Um, but I've certainly come around, um, and really embraced it because it's been a, a real learning experience for our brewing team. And I think we're brewing, um, beyond beer beverages that, you know, will help differentiate us because they're, you know, they're not just another, you know, me too seltzer, um, or me too, you know, hard lemonade. Um, we've got a really unique hard lemonade that, uh, we have launched across California, Arizona, and Nevada, and you'll see it in Michigan at some point next year. We'll, uh, we'll go chain wide with it. Um, it's full of flavor. Um, you know, um, it's higher alcohol um, and just super, super refreshing. So it's got prickly pear in it along with uh, some lemon and uh, raspberry juice. It's fantastic. Um, and we're also you know, starting to experiment with, with hard teas. Um, because that's such a, a hot category too. Um, and, and again, there, we want to do something, you know, unique, something different from the other hard teas out there. Um, and talking about hard teas and seltzers, uh, do you have any idea of going to like an NA beer or anything like that, or just do it as a guest tap? Yeah, we, we have been experimenting with NA beer for a couple of years now. Um, in fact, we were testing it on tap. NA versions of three of our most popular beers, the Jeremiah Red, the Brewhouse Blonde, and our Piranha Pale Ale. And we just, we were really happy with the product, but we just weren't selling enough um, to justify, um, you know, a, a beer line for it, having it on tap. Um, 
that category is continuing to grow, as you know. Um, so, you know, maybe we were a little ahead of our time. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, we plan on continuing to pursue that category. Um, and I find at my age, I'm drinking, you know, more and more Hene beer. Um, just because uh, I, I can't handle as much alcohol as I used to. And any beer has gotten so much better, you know, than, than it used to be. Um, you know, we were using vacuum distillation for a while. Um, we're starting to experiment now um, with um, arrested fermentation. Um, it's a more cost-effective way to make any beer, and we're hoping we can get just as good a product that way. Um, but, it's, again, it's a great learning experience. Um, so, yeah, we're having a lot of fun with that category, too. Nice. Uh, do you have anything to add, Ken? Yeah. With regards to the NA beer, obviously, having been in the industry for so long, the flavors of even your your mainstays, your Labatt NAs, your Bud Double Os, like these beers have don't taste like what they tasted like even 10 years ago, let alone today. Or my palate's completely changed. Um, what are let's let's get a little bit about you. What are some of your favorite NAs to uh to crush while you're um, you know, taking a break between beers. I, you, you get athletic, athletic uh, beer there. Yeah. Yes, we do. I mean, yeah, I, I would say they have absolutely set the standard. Um, absolutely. I mean, everything they've done is fantastic. Um, um and uh, another beer, any that really impresses me is Guinness. You know, you, you, do, you taste the NA Guinness side by side with the draft Guinness. And it is really hard to tell the difference. That's that's pretty 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 remarkable. Um, and I will tell you that Heineken Zero Zero is is a fantastic NA beer too. Another one where it's really hard to tell that it's it's an NA beer. I don't drink a lot of Heineken, but that's an extremely well made NA beer. Yeah, as we got into a more national audience due to COVID um, and not being in a studio over in Metro Detroit, uh, we actually had uh, Athletic Brewing on. Both John and Bill hopped onto our show um, to talk about it, and I believe Bill was in San Diego at the new facility, and we got like a visual tour of the new facility, and it is ridiculous what they're doing, um, but they're doing it right. Now, you also said you had kind of like a hesitation within seltzers. Um, and I think a lot of people felt the exact same way when they saw the seltzers like truly and even like milk ultra seltzers, you know, they're like flavor ish seltzers, not flavorful. Um, have you had the opportunity to try any of the more larger flavorful seltzer styles like untitled art or homes or even odd side here in Michigan? Yeah, I have not. We, but we have you know similar uh, seltzers in in Southern California where craft brewers are. Yeah, they're they're embracing that you know big flavored you know seltzer with with you know, with more alcohol. Not not a you know better for you you know kind of seltzer like like Truly or, or White Claw by any stretch. Um, you know it's full of sugar. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, those those are selling very well, um, and we have a number of those on tap as guest beers in our, our restaurants and they're, they're doing very well. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's the direction that hard seltzer is going. It's good to see. Well, um, staying on the same line, you know, craft beer to go has always been like a staple for breweries. Like breweries have been able to, um, you know, sell their beer outside crawlers, growlers, especially crawlers now with crawler machines being so, um, 
you know, standard in a lot of breweries, but you're starting to see with the competition of hard seltzers, hard teas, hard lemonades, uh, craft cocktails to go where people can buy RTDs or even, you know, mixed at the bar cocktails to go. Do you see that eating into your beer sales at all? Or do you really see like a separation of competition um, between the two styles of alcoholic drinks? Well, if, if anything, it's, you know, it's, um, it's helping our, <laughs> our uh, to go sales because, you know, we are, we are selling the margaritas out, out the door where we, where we can do it. And, yeah, it's interesting, you know, if, if there is a silver lining to the pandemic, there were an, a number of states where, you know, large states where before COVID, we couldn't sell beer out the door. So, you know, whereas we were selling six packs to go in California, we, we couldn't do it in many other states like Texas and, and Florida, where we have a number of restaurants. And, um, it, you know, first it became a, a temporary privilege, you know, to help restaurants survive the pandemic and and then it became permanent. So, you know, we are now selling you know, the six packs um, out the door um, along with we have we have crowler machines in some some of our restaurants, but they're hard to maintain. You know, when you have you know, 215 restaurants, 215 crowler machines would be would be a, a challenge. So, you know, we prefer to sell six packs out the door in bottles um, our 750 mil bottles um, well, along with cocktails. Why not? Well, you mentioned 215 stores. Um, I think Rob kind of touched on it. Like quality control is definitely key. I read the, I believe, um, Joshua Knoll book uh, about the Anheuser-Busch buyout of Goose Island. Um, Barrel-aged stouts and selling out, I think, was the name of it. Um, And one of the things in that book is they talk about brewing Goose Island 312 at the AB New York facility and how they just could never get it right. Um, how do you manage different water um, styles going from like maybe well water to river water to tap? Like, how do you manage all of this so that the Jeremiah red that I get from Reno tastes the exact same as the Jeremiah red from one of your California facilities tastes the exact same as the Texas facility? Um, how do you, since you're the senior VP, like manage all of that quality control? That's a great question. It's not easy. Um, and, you know, it's not just our breweries. We're managing, you know, how our, our beers are made at, uh, at two contract brewers, too. Um, we have very regular taste panels, um, blind taste panels, um, where we taste samples of each beer from, from all, of, all the breweries where it's, where it's brewed, and also draft versus canned. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we find differences. And, you know, we work, you know, work to make sure those beers are, you know, more consistent the next time we have a taste panel. Um, so that, that's one way. Um, you mentioned the water, which is, yeah, um, absolutely critical. You know, water chemistry is so different from um, one city to another. And, uh, and in, you know, also in some, some locations, uh, we used to brew in Arizona, uh, uh, the water was a blend of, you know, 40 different, wells at any one time that you know that that blend would change not just from month to month but even even from day to day so you know you don't know what you're brewing with um so how do we how do we solve that problem well we have we have ro systems in all of our breweries so um and uh yeah so we strip everything out of the water first and then depending on what style we're brewing 
you know, we'll, we'll add minerals back in soft or hard water, whatever we're looking for, for that style of beer. But yeah, that's, that's saved us as our systems. And for people like me who that, that phrase goes over my head, what's an RO system? Oh, reverse osmosis. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 I know those words. I yeah, just yeah, don't yeah, know what R. Yeah. 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 All right. That's one of those where I didn't catch feet. the acronym. Yeah. Um, before we, we kind of end the show, we end the show with something nice, lighthearted. We're going to ask you a final question. I do have um, one question, and that is this Oktoberfest. This is a German-style lager. This is brewed at 5.6%. Uh, I do see it's brewed in Temple, Texas. It says it right on the can. Uh, it's got the nice little independent logo on there. So for you craft beer fans who are uh, trying to be all high and mighty, uh, about BJ's over here. This beer is so damn good. Um, what is, g- give me a little rundown of the Oktoberfest. What am I tasting? What am I, um, you know, feeling? Oh my God, this is so good. Um, thank you. Kind of, kind of had a loss of words, but yeah, what, yeah. so th- this isn't a, a Martzen, correct? This is an Oktoberfest style beer. Well, there's somewhat interchangeable. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, the history is that, you know, the festival, the Oktoberfest festival, um, you know, precedes the, the beer Oktoberfest. And, and Meritson, because it was tapped, you know, in September, traditionally, you know, lagered all summer long, brewed in March, which is what Meritson means, and then tapped in September, the beginning of the new brewing season. It became, you know, a natural to to drink Oktoberfest, Meritson-style beer at the Oktoberfest festival. So, it became, you know, the official beer of Oktoberfest and is often you know, called Oktoberfest beer. Um, but it is basically Meritzen, though. There are Oktoberfest-style beers that are um, paler than your typical Meritzen. So there's two versions of Oktoberfest, one that is, you know, an amber, similar to Meritzen, and one that is a paler style of Oktoberfest. Um, ours is a more traditional style, also somewhat a little bit of an American-style Oktoberfest. Um because it's a little hoppier, um, not not a hoppy beer, but a little more balanced with the hops um, than a traditional uh, Bavarian Oktoberfest would be. Uh, but I love this style. Um, this is one of yeah our original seasonal beers, um, along with the, the pumpkin ale. Um, it is our top selling seasonal beer. Though tropical hop storm might overtake it, we'll see. Um, and this is another beer that we just launched last week. Um, we. <laughs> I think we, we launch it earlier and earlier every year. Um, so, uh, so well ahead of uh, Oktoberfest season, which um, you know starts next month. But uh, yeah, I, I just love this beer, and I've yeah I took home a, a six pack last night, and I'm sure it'll be gone by the by the end of the weekend. Is there a just, reason why I can't have the style of beer year round? <laughs> well, look for Meritzen. Now there are brewers that make a Meritzen um, year round, and yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as we end the show, of course, each and every week we end with a final question, give you the opportunity to, of course, plug the upcoming BJ's in Grand Rapids, Beer City USA, officially by some website. And uh, uh, it's been proclaimed. Therefore, it is true. Uh, So I'm going to actually start with myself uh, for the final questions, because usually I end the show. uh, But I have one more question that I have uh, wanted to ask you since you started talking and was there ever a beer that you made that you had high hopes for that it just didn't take 
uh, whether it's with your audience or craft beer fans at one of your other brew pubs? Yes. You know, I mentioned that I'm a, a big Belgian ale fan and, you know, I was drinking sour beers uh, long before they, you know, became popular in, in the U S and um, yeah, I, I recall brewing an Oud Brun, um, you know, a Flemish sour Brown that was just, yeah, just, we couldn't begin to sell. Um, it was way ahead of its time. This was, we had a brewery in Portland um, back in the day. So this was, yeah, at least 20 years ago. Um, and now trying to sell a sour beer in the, in the U.S. at that time. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Could you give it a go now? Oh, yeah. No, we, we, we have. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely, I'm still a huge fan of sour beers. Um, and With, we, we, uh, brewed, we brewed a number of them over the years. We, we did a collaboration, in fact, last summer with New Belgium. You know, and they, they taught us a lot about how to brew sour beers, especially on a, on a larger scale. Because, you know, we, we shipped it to all of our restaurants. So um, that was a really neat experience. I believe uh, New Belgium, along with uh, up here, Jolly Pumpkin with Ron Jeffries and, of course, Jester King down in Texas. Like, yeah, um, I know. I know Ron. He's he's awesome. What a what a talented brewer. And I, these, I ask you, can I ask you something real quick? I, I, of course. I almost forgot. So I have a connection with a brewery there. Um, this was uh, in my early brew pub brewing days before BJ's. Um, does the name Drew Sierra ring a bell or Royal Oak Brewing Company? So I uh, yeah, Royal Oak, Royal Oak uh, Brewing Company still uh, up and existing. I, I brewed the first batches at that brewery, and the connection is that. Uh, Drew Sierra, who I think started that brewery with his brother-in-law, um, he was the general manager at the a brew pub in Huntington Beach that I brewed at, uh, my first brewing gig. And uh, then he moved to Michigan, where his, after he got married, where his wife's family is from, and, and started Royal Oak Brewery and a few others in the area, I believe. Um, but anyway, he had hired a young brewer who, you know, at the time didn't have a lot of experience. Uh, Wayne Burns is his name. He's a successful brewer and Colorado these days, but uh, anyway, I said, yeah, Alex, you know, come on out and <laughs> help Wayne with the first round of batches. He's, he's going to need your help. So yeah, I, I was there. Um, we brewed nonstop, <laughs> barely any sleep. We brewed nonstop for like four days. Pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the Royal Oak brewery actually brought home gold for their Kolsch last year. Jeremy Altier is their current head brewer. Um, they do own three breweries. That's the Rochester Mills Brew Pub, where your friend Todd Parker is the head brewer over there. Um, the Royal Oak Brewery and the Detroit Beer Company. So that's where uh, Dave Siora is still making his mark here in brewing in Michigan. Um, 100% in two months or a month and a half when you go to GABF. Make sure uh, also used to own. Oh, um Todd's trying to correct me here. Uh, make sure when you go to uh, GABF this year, should you go uh, try the Kolsch uh, from Great Amer- uh, from the Royal Oak Brewery? Uh, Jeremy Altier will probably be there as well. Phenomenal brewer. Um, I can't talk enough, but what they do still at the Royal Oak Brewery is their Kolsching Hour, uh, where they serve Kolsch like Kolsch should be served. Um, and one of our, uh, guests, not guests, excuse me, uh, fans, Mary is saying that she'll be there tomorrow, I believe for the Colshin hour. Um, so, uh, that was my question. Um, Wendy, what's your final question for Alex here? So, uh, as many of our listeners know, I love to travel. 
what is the one reason that I should come to BJ's? One reason? Well, you know. Well, you can give us a couple if you want, but at least one. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would absolutely, you know, say the beer, but not just, you know, one beer. You've got to sample the variety of beer we offer. And I think, you know, we have something for everyone. You know, get get a flight. Start with a flight, sample everything you can. Two flights is perfect. Um, and pair it, definitely pair it with, uh, you know, a BJ's deep dish pizza, one of our sandwiches, you know, one of our entrees. If you're on a pale ale, pair it with our New Orleans jambalaya. Can't beat that. Um, so perfect place to pair a beer and food. Um, Wendy's laughing because I am a, a uh, anti-flight uh, candidate. I believe flights uh, should be abolished in breweries. Um, we actually did a uh, uh, one of those polls on Instagram. Uh, Ed decided to do that. And uh, 30% of people agree with me, which I was actually kind of shocked that uh, um, three out of 10 people agree that uh, we need to get rid of flights. Because they only drink one or two types, types styles of beer. I drink plenty of styles of beer. I just don't see usually many styles of the ones that I like. You know, when's the last time you went to a brewery and you saw an ESB, an English mild, a brown, a red? Like you see IPA, IPA, IPA. Um, I'm not going to see that at BJ's though, because goddamn, these two, the Oktoberfest and the Jeremiah Red. Um, I'm I'm going to the Livonia one tomorrow to get a, a growler of the red to go. Um, That's what I want to hear. All right. <laughs> Rob, what's your final question? Uh, my final question is just going to be, how many states do you guys have locations in? And what's the next state that you plan on entering? Yeah, we're in 30 states now. Um, the newest state um, being Illinois. Uh, we're finally in the Chicago market, Orland Park, not, not far from you. Um, and the next one will be the next state um, is Wisconsin. Um, we're opening in, in Brookfield there. Um, that'll be our first opening next year. I, I think in, in, in April of next year. So yeah, Wisconsin next. Yeah. We, very nice. Yeah. We, we, we like it in your neck of the woods. They drink a lot of beer. They sure do. <laughs> All right. Alex Puchner, Puchner, Puchner. Um, where can they find BJ's? Can they, is, is there like an online website? Is there social media? Um, what's the details about Grand Rapids upcoming? G- give us the rundown before we go. Yeah. If you're not sure where there's a BJ's location, um, you know, go, go to our website. There's a location locator. Um, just type in your city or state website is um, BJ'sRestaurants.com. And uh, Grand Rapids um, is not our next opening. We're opening in Rochester, New York um, in a month or two uh, in September. And then uh, in, in October, early October, we open in, in Grand Rapids. That'll be our last opening this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I want to get to Grand Rapids. I have never been. Um, let me know if um, you'd like to be there for our soft opening. Um, and I'll, I'll make sure we take care of you. And I may even join you there. We uh, we we hope to see you there, and uh, we'll be there to help you to uh, uh, take a little Grand Rapids tour, um, absolutely, and uh, get some of the nice spots out there. Uh, 
that is going to do it better on draft 325 of course like us on all social medias that's tiktok facebook instagram untapped youtube kick twitch twitter everything is at better on draft because no matter what you think of your beer we think it's better on draft have a good night cheers cheers